So for those of you who have been coming to Mass here at Sacred Heart for the last, I don't know, five, six years, know that I very often like to give a hard time to my dear friend and yours, Father Lucas Rossi, because most of the time he deserves it. Now, I will say this. I'm actually going to speak something positive about good old Father Rossi today. And that's, you know, when he first came to Sacred Heart, and this was at the end of my first year of being pastor here, when Father Noah Carter got reassigned, and we thought it's going to be by myself. Well, Father Rossi was at that time uh, discerning with the Benedictine monks at Belmont Abbey, decided to come back to the diocese. Bishop Jugas called and asked if he could come here to Sacred Heart. I said, yes, of course, he's my old seminary friend. And he came, and I proceeded to make fun of him forevermore. But one of the good things was, as I said, it was at the end of my first year here at Sacred Heart. And one of the most difficult things about being a priest, in my humble opinion, is having to say goodbye. And I loved my time at St. John the Baptist in Tryon. I was the pastor there for two years. In fact, Michael Becker, who's running the recording right now, will remember back to a time, probably the first two, three years of my time here at Sacred Heart, that every decision was, well, when I was at St. John the Baptist, everything was preceded by that phrase. And back at the rectory, I don't know if it was just sort of like a sad sort of coping mechanism or what, but I didn't really unpack well. I never really sort of settled in to the rectory. And it's not that I wasn't happy to be here at Sacred Heart. I love the good people of Sacred Heart. However, it was really hard to say goodbye, just like it had been very hard to say goodbye when I got reassigned and had to leave Our Lady of Grace. It's tough to you know, leave people in those relationships behind. And so I had many things that were just kind of unsettled in the rectory. And once Father Rossi moved in, in his whirlwind-type fashion, he went to settling things in the rectory. It was like, what are you doing about this? How come, you know, this isn't set up better? What about the back patio? Why isn't this more comfortable? And it was all of a sudden, it was like he was forcing me to face the fact that I was still very much living in a box in so many places in that house. And it was only once he sort of made me confront that that I finally started to settle in more and more and deal with what you know, needed to be dealt with. And I was grateful that it happened, that finally I was kind of more comfortable in my own home. You know, it's funny, and I've since moved rectories just in the last couple of months, and my wonderful friends sitting behind me who are staying with me for the foreseeable future have helped to continue settling in in the new place as we have recently disposed of some of the junk in the yard, let's say. We had a statue of a fairy that was sitting back there that none of the three of us adult men put back there. It's now in the trash. Anyway, you know, it's these things that sometimes you have to confront to move forward, and then once you do, you're grateful that you do, right? Now, that's in relation to moving in, and I'm grateful that Father Rossi helped me to face that task to go about it and to settle in more and more. And of course, I'm very much at home here at Sacred Heart. I love living in Salisbury. I love being the Catholic priest in town. I love being the pastor of this parish. And he helped me to settle into that by facing the fact that I needed to settle in. Now, 
What is our Lord calling us to in the readings today? It's very much to face those things that we need to face. We're very good right now in society at declaring ourselves to be what? Good people, you know? There, we know that there are some things sort of underlying the surface. All of us are fallen. All of us have things that we need to face and address and deal with. But my God, it's so much easier to just say, well, I'm a good person, right? And we like to begin things with that phrase, especially when we have to face things that we know are our fallen nature, things that we're not proud of. One of my priest buddies in Charlotte, Father Josh Voidis, he's the pastor at St. Vincent de Paul, he was telling me a story about someone who was telling him about the fact that, you know, yeah, I, I lie from time to time, I'm, you know, pretty frequently, but I'm a good person. And Father, Father Voidis said, you know what you call a person who lies from time to time, who lies pretty often? You call him a liar. And it was one of those things that I think was very good for that person to hear, at least I hope it was, uh, because, right, we can all do that sort of a thing, right? We can all just sort of sweep under the carpet those things that we know that we really do need to address. And it's just so much easier to put that away and declare ourselves to be good people while, you know, the crumbs and the leftovers and the bad stuff is swept under the carpet and rots and stinks and attracts the bugs and everything else. That's not the way that our Lord wants us to live. Just like I'm grateful that Father Rossi made me face what I needed to do and unpack and settle in and appreciate what I had, our Lord doesn't want us to live in such a way that we allow for the sins to just be there and fester and for us to have to suffer the consequences. When you look at the Israelites here as they move through the desert, what are they doing? They're complaining. They're not appreciating what they have. All of the incredible miracles that happened that led them out of Egypt, right? All of those plagues, all of the things that set them free from their oppressors. The fact that the Red Sea was parted. The fact that they're led by fire at night and the cloud by day. The fact that all of these things are happening and then what do they do in the midst of it all? They complain. They complain about this wretched food, this terrible stuff, the fact about the water. All of a sudden, they go from people who are blessed with the presence of God, given what they need, to becoming complainers. And they need to face what, what's going on when they become people who complain. Because really, it's not merciful to let them just continue on to be ungrateful and complaining people, right? Just like for parents, it's not an act of mercy to just let your kids do whatever the heck they want, right? To become nothing but ungrateful complainers and to let them just go along with that as though it's not a problem forever. Well, what does that mean? If it's never addressed, they grow up to be ungrateful people who are totally self-consumed, who nobody really wants to spend time with. But when a parent confronts them, they're like, hold on a second. What about the words thank you, you know? What about recognizing all of the gifts that you've been given? And sometimes having a punishment for not being grateful, for being a complainer. As the parent, is that tough? Absolutely. I'll tell you, thank God I'm a celibate male. I mean, I look at other parents and it's so easy to be like, oh, I think I would do this. But 
I'm not a parent. I know that that's hard. I mean, discipline is not an easy thing. I'm grateful in the school that we have a whole wonderful administrative staff and that I'm not the one in charge of the discipline because it wouldn't be that great. I know getting called to the pastor's office isn't an exciting thing, but I'm not good at it. It's a tough thing. But our Lord, in his mercy, sends those seraph serpents. And it doesn't seem like mercy at first, right? But for them to look at what the result is, as they've complained against God the Father, as they've complained against this freeing from the slavery of Egypt, they can't just go on in those complaints. They'll be nothing but complainers, ungrateful people who are not happy to see what they have. Our Lord ultimately frees us from the slavery of sin, frees us from that which binds us up and makes us into self-content, sinning human beings. And how does he do that? Well, it struck me this morning at the beginning of Mass when I say, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Why does he want us to acknowledge our sins? Because we have to face that which keeps us away from him. That which keeps us away from one another. That which is ultimately holding us back from true and lasting happiness. When you think back to those Israelites, if they're just left to continue to complain about everything, to just be the entitled masses, they never will really find happiness. So it's the same for us. We have to acknowledge our sins, acknowledge those ways that we've fallen short. Why? Not so we can sit there and say, I'm terrible, I'm bad, I'm never going to get better. No, he wants us to be free from those things that hold us back. And how do we get there? By acknowledging them. And ultimately, as we see in this prefigurement of the serpent lifted up in the desert, as Fulton Sheen said in his reflection today in the Magnificat, I highly recommend it, but he said, you know, you have this serpent lifted up, the serpent then without venom. When people look at that serpent, when they look at the result of their complaining, they're healed. When we look at the Son of Man lifted up, Jesus Christ on the cross, the Son of Man, God himself lifted up, fully man but without sin, just like that serpent without venom. We see the cost of our sins, that love himself incarnate is willing to lay down his life for us. Why? Because we've fallen into sin. And when we look at the result of our sin, our Lord dying for us on the cross, when we confront the results of what it means when we turn our back on him, we see that love, that love that calls us out of our isolation, that calls us out of our sinfulness, that calls us where? Into perfect communion with him. We don't get there by just declaring ourselves to be good people. No. We get there by really and truly acknowledging the way in which we have fallen, the ways in which we have gone astray, the ways in which we have all sinned. But the great thing is, is that it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in despair. In fact, it ends with our Lord's mercy and love overcoming that sin and death, transforming us into his body, bringing us into himself. But first, as we do at the beginning of every Mass, we have to acknowledge our sins. We have to acknowledge those things that have kept us from him. We have to deal with them. 
But the beautiful thing is he gives us the sacrament of confession to do just that, to acknowledge them, to speak them out loud to him, and then not to hear like some condemnation, not to have the priest, you know, lambaste you, but rather to hear the beautiful words of absolution, to be united to his love, which he's laid down for us totally, which he pours out for us fully in the blessed sacrament, giving us himself body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Our Lord wants us to confront the fallenness in which we find ourselves. Our faith isn't about, you know, just sugarcoating things or just kind of going through or everything will be fine in the end. No, it's about ultimately the, the price that true love is willing to pay to get us out of our sinfulness, to make us acknowledge the reality of sin and death and to acknowledge the reality that love is ultimately stronger than both. Our Lord has entered into all of this with us. Our Lord has offered us the remedy to leave sin and death behind. Don't be afraid to confront it. Don't be afraid to examine your own conscience. Because at the end of the day, greater than any sin you have ever committed in your entire life is the love and mercy of God. Don't be afraid to confront those sins. Because ultimately, the remedy for them is so much greater than we can ever really even imagine in this life. But we do get a foretaste. Every time we get forgiven in that confessional, every time we encounter him in the Eucharist, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the beginning. The beginning of the greatest thing we can ever encounter, his love, which is the love that never fails. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.